0: man it's good to see all y'all today especially guests i'm david i'm the pastor man joe is so right it's the time change you made it the rain you made it and we're just glad that glad that you're here couldn't help but noticing as they were singing this this side moves a little bit more than that side and i'm thinking it's because that side's getting old uh <laughs> compared to that side he's getting really old now when i come up here they all get young but that's just beside the point um uh, Someone asked one time, how, how much faith does it take to be saved? And the answer is just enough. Just enough faith. You know, the thing about faith, it, you can't measure faith. There's no, there's no quantitative aspect. You know, people don't have more faith than someone else or less faith than none of that. Faith, faith is, is, is it's either real or it's fake. It's either authentic or it's inauthentic. Either have, have you do And the thing about faith that's so important is it is intrinsic to the concept of our, our ability to understand salvation. Uh, And ultimately, you know, we're here one way or the other because of salvation. As as a follower of Christ, I've been saved. I'm here. uh, And I'm here because I want people who aren't followers of Christ to be saved also. That's really what it's all about. In um, Luke 19.10, dealing with Zacchaeus, Jesus said about himself, The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. And that salvation comes because of the cross. And we're in a series leading up to Easter. Easter's about five weeks away. Entitled, Jesus on the Cross. And we're looking at the seven words of Christ. Because on the cross, Jesus made seven statements. And, and we're taking them kind of in order. And we began last week by looking at the forgiveness that he, that he brings, and that, he, that he made. Father, forgive them. And uh, talking about people putting him to death there. And that, you know, the cross is ultimately about forgiveness. Because in order to be saved, you have to be forgiven. So the day we're going to stay still in Luke chapter 23, the second of the sayings, and that deals with uh, the salvation found in Luke 23, verse 39 through 43, and here it goes. One of the criminals who were hanging there was hurling abuse at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered and rebuking him said, do you not even fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds, but this man... Has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today, you shall be with me in paradise. So here's the thing in the message I want you to see. The cross is about salvation, and salvation comes through faith. The cross of Jesus is about salvation, and salvation comes. Through faith. So I'm going to begin today, uh, the message talking about the man who hung around Jesus, <laughs> literally. We talk about the disciples who hung around Jesus. Well, there's a guy who hung right next to Jesus. And uh, the thing about all four Gospels is they paint, they really they just give this a vivid account and paint this beautiful picture. Um, you know, Rod Stewart has a song that says every picture tells a story, and it does. Pictures just tell us stories. And, and, you, and you've seen probably uh, bukus, tons of different pictures and paintings of Jesus at the cross, and there's just something vivid about about him being there. And when you see the picture and the story unfold, there's really kind of four parts to that, that story that I kind of want to go through. And so the first thing that I want to say to you is that this, at some point, uh, you must come in contact with Jesus at the cross. At some point, the Jesus at the cross, you've got to come in contact with him. Now, we live in a day and age where it's kind of popular to try to have a Christianity and remove the cross from The Christian faith. Now, when we speak of the cross, we speak not just about the death, but the resurrection. It's the death and resurrection, the whole picture. And as I've said countless times, Christianity rises and falls on the resurrection of Jesus. It rises and falls on the cross. You remove the cross, you have no Christian faith. It's empty. It's void of any substance. So you really can't take the cross away from Christ and from Christianity. When people say, you know, I just want to look at Jesus, he was the teacher. Or I just want to look at Jesus through the example well, I'm about to say something, and just hear me out. But if you take the cross away from Jesus, he's a lousy teacher and a lousy example. He really is. I mean, think about what Jesus taught. He taught that he was going to die, and in three days, he raised back to life. That you should put your faith and trust in him. And oh, by the way, you will probably suffer, maybe even to the point of death, for doing that. What kind of teaching is that? It's about the cross. That's a lousy, lousy teaching. All the moral stuff that he taught, truth be known, you can find in other places. It's the cross that all makes all that pop and come alive and have substance. The example Jesus followed, well, without the cross, I'm just looking at his example. He was poor and celibate, and I'm just you lost me right there at that point. There's what, the, what example exactly did Jesus do in his life that says that I'm going to follow that without the cross. It's the cross that makes it all come alive. And Jesus says there were two criminals hanging with him at the cross. Matthew and Mark call them thieves and, and, and robbers. And that's, and that's how we'll kind of refer to them the rest of the way because that's common. But like I said last week, the concept of criminal is is an evildoer. And, and, and that's what Luke uses, a practitioner whose energy is towards evil. And as I shared with you last week, we know from Barabbas, who was supposed to be there with the other two guys, that they were murderers and insurrectionists. They, they were guys who led rebellions against Rome to try to establish some sort of Jewish independence and so they were there and one of them as i mentioned this last week also was abusing jesus or cursing him they were cursing jesus and he said if you're the christ save yourself and us now it's interesting that he said if you are the christ because whatever he knew about jesus before the cross at this point he knows that he's being crucified because he claimed or others claimed him to be the messiah now they're understanding the messiah back then was that the Messiah was going to come and establish an independent Jewish kingdom forever and defeat Rome. Now, that's exactly what the thief on the cross was trying to do. To lead a rebellion against Rome, to defeat them, to reestablish the Jewish nation. So if Jesus was on the cross, and if he was really the Christ, he's just saying, Look, guy, you're running out of time. If you're really the guy that's going to do all this, come off that cross, save us, because we'll be with you. And let's just get this thing going. And so he was just hurling this abuse, cursing him, taunting him to come down because he didn't understand what it meant for Jesus to be the cross. But regardless of that, here's the thing. He was encountering Jesus at the cross. And while he may not have understood what it meant for him to be Messiah, he was encountering Jesus at the cross. Even if people don't understand the cross, they still have to encounter Jesus at the cross. And the other thief was there as well. And he encountered Jesus at the cross too. But something happened in his life. Let's bring me to the second thing. At some point, you must recognize your guilt. You have to come to recognize your guilt. And so it tells us, Luke does, that he began to rebuke the first thief. And he said, hey, wait a minute. Don't you even fear God? For we are under the same sentence of condemnation as him. Look, we're all dying up here. He took one of our guys' place. And there was probably some resentment that Barabbas got off scot-free, by the way, because Barabbas should have been dying with those guys. And he's saying, hey, you you have no fear of God. We're going to face God. Aren't you afraid of that? Now, the concept of fearing God means different things whether you're a follower of Christ or not. Fear, the word fear is the same word. Our word phobia comes from it. It's to recognize the holiness and awesomeness of God. If you're not a follower of Christ, to fear God is to be afraid of God. And rightly so. But if you're a follower of Christ, to fear God is to be in awe of God to the point of worshiping and serving God. He was talking about being just scared. Aren't you scared? Aren't you afraid? Aren't you terrified of facing God? Because we're under the same death as he is. And then he added this. And we deserve it. We suffer justly in getting what we deserve. It's justified that we're dying. We deserve it. So he's recognizing his sin. He's recognizing his guilt. He is recognizing he deserves to pay for what he did, for what he did was wrong. This is at the heart of repentance. Now, repentance is a very technical term that talks about going one way and changing paths and going another way. He's never gonna change his life. Okay, he's dying. He ain't and he can do. But he can recognize his unbelievable guilt. And he does that, but not only does he recognize his guilt, he recognizes that Jesus is innocent and says he's done nothing wrong. He does not deserve death. So you see, you know, at some point you meet Jesus on the cross. And at some point, you got to recognize your guilt. And Jesus isn't guilty. And then at some point, you must have faith in Jesus. And so here's what he says. It says he kept saying, repeating himself. Uh, we saw this last week with Jesus when he said, Father, forgive them. It was written in such ways that he was repeating himself. Sometimes, you probably know this, when you're suffering emotionally or physically, it's really hard to focus. So you focus on one simple thing, and you might keep repeating it. Like I said, Lord, you know, uh, you know, help my mom. My mom was very sick. Lord, just heal her. You know, God, I pray. I mean, I should be healer. If it be your will, I trust you healer. I mean, I didn't go into it. I didn't elaborate. I'm just, God, heal my mom. And so you can understand the intensity of he, what he says. He's being emphatic about it. So he kept saying, Jesus, and he refers to Jesus personally. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now he didn't speak Greek. He spoke most like Aramaic, which is a form of Hebrew. And Luke put it in the Greek, and so he took the word "remember." And Luke wrote it in a way that is, is what we call uh, an imperative; it's a command. He wasn't commanding Jesus, but he was imploring, he was pleading, "Remember, remember, remember me." Now, to remember just isn't the cause to call to mind, but it's to act upon it. So, uh, so if you're leaving the house, that guy's one day, and, and you're leaving the house, you're going to work or whatever you're doing, uh, and, and your wife says, "Remember, we need groceries." And you come home without groceries. And she said, why didn't you go to the grocery store? I told you about that. He said, no, you told me to remember, and I did. I just thought you were going to get them. <laughs> no. When she said, remember, we need groceries, she's telling you, go to the grocery store and buy groceries. Which is fine, but I ain't coming back with no vegetables. I'm telling you that right now. It's a lot of mac and cheese, meat, and potatoes. So, the idea of remembering means to do something. He's saying, Jesus, here's something. When you come into your kingdom, remember me. Now, the concept of kingdom becomes important. To us as Americans in the 21st century, we don't, we don't think about kingdoms. We don't like kings, and we don't like kingdoms, and rightly so. But in the New Testament, it carries a different connotation. It's an important theme in the New Testament. It's the reigning rule of God. And... To the guy hanging on the cross, he thought the Messiah was going to come and establish an earthly dynamic kingdom of rule. Now, when the thief says, Remember me when you come into your kingdom, and there's lots of speculation about what he meant, we don't really know. He may have meant, When you die and you go in your kingdom and you're going to be king, just remember me there, please. Or he may have meant, When you come and establish your kingdom because you're the Messiah, remember me. Either way, here's what he's saying You're the Messiah. You have your kingdom. All I ask is you remember me. And that's faith. Because at some point you've got to have faith. At some point you've got to believe. And if you come to that point where you've encountered Christ, recognize your guilt and have faith in Jesus, at that point Jesus will save you. At that point Jesus will save you. For Jesus said, verily or truly. It means, it's the word, amen. It means absolutely. Today, I'll remember you in paradise. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. The word today speaks of the assurance of what's going to happen. See, that that thief was going to die in a few hours. He was. And Jesus wanted him to know, when you close your eyes and we wake up, you're with me. Notice he said, you didn't say, today you'll be in paradise. He said, today you're going to be with me, Jesus. ultimately, that's what salvation is about. To be with Jesus in this life, in the life to come. I just want to be with Jesus, period. That's salvation. He so said, you're going to be with me in paradise. Now, paradise is, is a word that comes from a Persian concept of a park. And, it, and I'm a guy, I love parks. You know, parks. Nice places to go. We have beautiful parks here. You know, they're green. They're enjoyable. The Garden of Eden is a park. You know, over in Genesis. In the end of the Revelation, when it describes heaven, it describes it as a park. It's that concept. It's paradise. Now, some of you may read and come in contact with the idea that paradise was kind of an intermediate state. Some people have this strange idea that when Christ comes, that before Christ comes, we don't go to heaven or hell That when he comes, we'll get heaven and hell. In the meantime, there's an intermediate state called paradise or Hades. If you ever read that, just wipe that stuff. Just get rid of that stuff. Just throw it away. There's just nothing to it. If you believe that, I'm sorry. There is nothing in the gospels to support that. People have made that up. The language doesn't support it. The concept of paradise, any reputable Greek scholar will tell you, is heaven. Jesus isn't saying, hey, when you close your eyes and wake up, you'll be with me in an intermediate state. He says, "You're going to be with me, and when you're with Jesus after death, that's heaven. Wherever Jesus is, if you're with Him, it's heaven. You go be with me in paradise." And I understand, you know, Jesus rose and there was forty days, and I get all that. They're not being deeply theological right now. <laughs> They're dying on a cross, man. The thief is just saying, "Remember me." I'm trusting you. I'm giving you my life. And Jesus is saying, I got it. And you're with me. And that thief had faith. And I'm here to tell you that was the worst faith you could possibly have. The thief on the cross had the worst faith ever. He did. I mean, this is a simple story, but let's just be honest. I mean, recognize that day that the thief, he met. Jesus. He met Jesus. The thief met Jesus. And when he met Jesus, the thief saw something. He saw an innocent man paying the price for a guilty man. He saw an innocent man suffering for a guilty man. He heard something. He heard all the religious leaders mock and ridicule him. And he heard Jesus forgive him. And he realized something. He realized Jesus did not deserve to die, but he did deserve to die. When well, the thief met Jesus, the thief also met himself. And when the thief met himself, he confessed something. He confessed, I'm guilty. And when he confessed that, he also declared something. He declared his need, remember me, and he declared his hope when you come into your kingdom. And then the thief received something from Jesus. He received an assurance today, and he received salvation, you'll be with me in paradise. And that's what what faith boils down to. But understand, with all of that, he had the worst faith ever. He didn't he didn't do anything before he was saved to recommend to him. I mean, he was just a condemned man and deserved it. He never went to church. He never gave money. He didn't share the gospel with anybody. He didn't pray. He didn't even pray the sinner's prayer. What's the sinner's prayer? It ain't that. It's also not found anywhere in the gospels, but that's okay. He didn't pray. The thief did one thing, and only one thing as a follower of Jesus. He died. That's so all he did. The thief is not an example for anyone, but he is an example for everyone. We don't use the thief on the cross as a tool to help people come to salvation. Uh, when we do the kids at VBS, we share their gospel. And by the way, we got a great VBS display up there. I like it to put together. Cranes and concrete. Concrete and cranes. What a great theme. This, this is a guy, finally a guy theme for VBS. And there's a wrecking ball out there. And I told the guys, the only thing that make that wrecking ball better, make it pop a little more, if you had a cutout of Miley Cyrus on that, that might work. I said, I'm going to tell you something. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, there'll be some guys over there signing up for VBS. You want some older guys signing up, you put a cutout of Heather Locklear and you'll get us too up there. We're working in VBS. What are you doing? I don't know. I'm watching the wrecking ball or whatever or something like that so when we come to share the gospel with the kids this is what we don't say hey look let's turn to luke 23 and see about salvation now kids here's what you can do you can live your life in total rebellion against god you can live your life absolutely being immoral and a reprobate and doing all sorts of evil and at the very end of your life when you think you're about to die at that point you can trust jesus to be your savior we don't teach them that. That would be crazy. First place, parents would come all over us for teaching them that. And second, we, we don't know it's true. We don't, for all we know, even though they're little, that may be the only chance they get to come to Jesus. We don't, there's no guarantees. Listen, that thief hung next to Jesus, that's the only opportunity he was going to get. Don't blow it. I don't care how old you are or where you're at. Today, may, if you don't know Christ, this may be the only opportunity you ever have to come to Jesus. Don't blow it. At the same time, here's what the thief tells us anyone can be saved before they die. As long as you have a breath left to draw, there's hope. I was a young, young pastor. And I had a lady in my church. She was a godly woman. She loved the Lord. She was one of the few people could ever convince me I was wrong about something. She was that godly man. And uh, she had grown kids. They were other places, other cities. They were great. Just raised them wonderful. And she had a husband who was a stone-cold atheist. I mean, he was as atheist as atheist could be. He had uh, been a high-ranking officer in the Navy. When he retired, he came to that city to teach at the university. And um, he was dying with cancer. He was on his last you know, a few days, maybe weeks, and he was at home. And he asked his wife for a Bible, and she took him a Bible. He wanted to read it. And so she came to me and asked me, you know, she was kind of hopeful. you think that means something? I said, well, it's good. She goes, would you talk to him? I'm like, yeah, I'll talk to him. And it didn't do any good. I mean, I mean he shut me down. That's fine. But shortly after that, he died. And so she asked me, do you think he gave his life to Christ? And this is what I told her. And I've said this many times in different ways, and I've said it to people at this church. You don't know what goes through a person's mind when they're about to face God. As death approaches, you don't know what God does in their heart and their mind. I know this. It's God's will that no one should perish, but all come to repentance. And God loves them very much. I don't know what the Holy Spirit of God does at that moment of their life. But I know this. If the thief on the cross can come to Jesus right before his death... Anyone can come to Jesus right before they die. There is always hope. Because the worst faith is still faith. It's still faith. Jesus didn't. He didn't somehow say faith has got to be a certain way. You just you've got to have faith. The word faith is never used in the story. Trust is never used. Believe is never used. But that's faith. And the worst faith ever is still the only faith necessary. The worst faith ever is the only faith necessary. We have a lot of strange views about salvation as a result of heaven or hell. One of our staff members uh, recommended a TV show and I'm not going to name the staff member because I don't want to embarrass his wife his two sons and his two daughters that are younger <laughs> <Yeah>. so <laughs> that's funny I don't care That's just funny. I like that point. I remember doing that more often anyways what was the point what, oh he told us to watch this show called uh, The Good Place some of you have seen The Good Place it's got Kristen Bell in it, and she dies, and she goes to heaven. It's not called heaven. It's a good place as opposed to a bad place. And so the, the angel there is played by Ted Dan- Danson. So whenever the morally uh, suspect bartender for cheers is the angel in your TV show, you know you've got problems with that. And so she's trying to figure out how she got to the good place. And he said, well, you know, you take all the good stuff you did and all the bad stuff you did, and, you know, and basically and, and, you, know, you just kind of measure it all out, and it's a complicated system of, you know, they each other out and however it works. And at the end of the time, in the end of all the process, the algorithm, if, if you're more good than bad, you're in. At that point, I looked at Debbie and I said, we good? She says, we're good, and we, we basically turned it off and went back to watching whatever it was. I think it was uh Hallmark. It may have been HGTV, because for some reason, I did not realize this, there was a lot of different ways you can remodel a home and sell it to someone, and HGTV has about 40 shows dedicated to that. <laughs> Basically, they all involve taking out a wall in the kitchen, putting it in an island, and remodeling the master bathroom, but other than that, they, there's a lot of variety in those shows, but... I watch them because I'm counting the hours because baseball season coming up and there's going to be a little payback coming along baseball I'm not saying that. Well, yeah, I am saying that. (laughs) It's twice tough when your wife's in the building and you've got to watch what you say. So here's the thing. In our country that we live in, we have come up with basically three in the 21st century America alternatives to the gospel view of salvation. One is to completely deny that salvation occurs at all. To say, you know, it's not necessary, it's not going to happen, God doesn't exist, but there's total denial. The second is to say, well, eventually everybody's going to get saved. I mean, in the end, loving God is going to save everybody. The third is the American way, of course, and, and that is you earn it. You're good enough, you go to the good place. The fascinating thing about the story of the thief on the cross is he... In this story, or this story refutes all of that. It denies all those things. Uh, to, to, the, to the person who says, Well, there is no salvation, Jesus told the guy, You're gonna be with me in paradise, you're gonna be saved. In fact, in the gospels, Jesus said, I came to bring salvation. Paul says, If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised you from the dead, you will be saved. So clearly, salvation is taught. It, it argues against the idea of universalism that we're all going to get there because he didn't turn to the other thief and said, hey, guess what? You'll be with me also. I mean, this guy at least had faith in me, but even though you're dying, unbelieving, don't worry. Even though you're a horrible, lousy person who has no bright being saved and has no faith whatsoever, I'm saving you too. He didn't do that. And it argues against good works because the, good, the, the thief on the cross didn't do anything good. Nothing. Zero. The only explanation... It's that Christ saves faith. Now, I realize there's nothing required for our salvation. You know, I'm a good, good Southern Baptist. You can't earn your salvation. But sometimes we have this idea and we say, well, you know, there's nothing required of you. And that's not quite true. Because one thing is required. It's faith. The thief shows us anyone can be saved. But not everyone will be saved. Because faith. Is required, even if it is the worst faith ever. You still need to take your life and give your life to Jesus. Paul says in Ephesians, he writes For by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of any work less. Someone would boast. Grace and faith are gifts to save. And on the cross, the thief hung next to Jesus. And he encountered Jesus on the cross. And he came to recognize his guilt. And he put his faith in Jesus. See, at that moment, he had the opportunity to have faith. He didn't get to determine when he had faith, by the way. The thief had no say in when the proper uh, time came for him to have faith. See, it's always up to Jesus. The danger of putting it off is you don't know that Jesus will ever give you another opportunity. You just don't. It's not to be morbid. It's just true. He doesn't owe us anything. And so, if you never trust Christ to be your savior and you're thinking, "Well, I'll put it off," understand, there's no guarantee you're ever going to have another opportunity because you don't get to come up with it. It comes from Christ. He gives you the grace. And he gives you faith. And if you don't take that faith and trust him with it, there's no guarantee you'll get to do it ever again. And when you have faith, even if it's the worst faith ever, understand it's just enough that he will save you. Years ago, the very first time I was preparing a message from this this passage, and I was so very young. And, uh, (laughs) I look back at those messages and think, oh my goodness. But I I remember there was an illustration there and I had done some study and I came across this story that an old pastor had that he had gotten from somewhere. And it was, it was about a building that had caught on fire and, you know, it was four or five stories high, not real high, but, um, and in the top floor, there was a woman who was there, and she couldn't be rescued. She couldn't come down. And so they were able to get the firemen to get the trucks and however, and the ladders. And they were able to get a ladder to that window somehow. So the fireman climbed up to the window, to the lady. And he said, come here, and, and I'll save you. And, and she began to come. And right before she got to him, where he could grab her, she kind of looked down. And, and she could see somehow the ground in the distance. And she, she pulled away because she was scared he would drop her. And he said, you, you've got to trust me. I'll save you. But she was afraid that he would drop her. So she kept moving back into the building and just went away. And he had to come down and they said, what happened? And the fireman told his boss, she wouldn't let me save her. She wouldn't let me save her. She didn't have enough faith. And all she needed was just enough to give her life to him and he would have saved And all you need is just enough faith to give your life to Jesus and he will save you. And if you have never trusted Christ to be your savior, why don't you do that today? Why don't you take your life and say, Jesus, here it is. I have just enough faith to trust you and do it right now and if you want I'm going to be here and a couple of other people will be here and you can come say you know what I need to trust Christ with my life would you pray with me so I'll have enough faith some of you may want to come down and say I have people that I love and care about and they don't believe and I want to pray that they will have just enough faith would you pray with me and we will and if you have any prayer requests you can come if you want to come join our church we'd love to have you but here's the thing I know When you walk out of this place today, have faith. Have just enough. Christ will save you. So we thank you, Lord, for salvation. And we don't deserve it. It really shouldn't be ours. And it's not, it's yours. And you give it through faith. So in the name of Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I ask that those who do not know Jesus as their Savior would have just enough faith to trust Him. God, even if it's the worst faith ever, it's still enough. So give them that faith that today they'll be saved. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Would you stand?